What's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's episode of From Here It's Potable. Hunter and I are back to discuss a lot that has happened uh, in the world of Texas Tech athletics since the last time we talked. We've got uh, the Baylor game, just the end of the season, Cumbie leaving. Uh, tech basketball offensive coordinator defensive coordinator we get into all that so here we go hey before we get to the podcast i just want to do make sure i shout out our sponsor prime residential mortgage incorporated they're the lending with passion division of primary residential mortgaging whether you're buying refinancing or taking cash out of your home prmi can help Rates are still near all-time lows, and our mortgage experts can help find the best mortgage solution for you. They can help you with purchasing your dream home, an investment property, a vacation home, whatever you need, they can help you with. They have locations all over the state of Texas, but they complete the entire process online, and it's easy, and and they just love working with fellow Red Raiders. They can be reached at prmiraider at primeres.com, through the website at www.lendingwithpassion.com, or by phone at 214-736-9466. So get in touch with them for, for any of your needs for anything like that. What's up, everybody? We are back after a week off. Nice Thanksgiving break, but it's me and Hunter Davidson. Um, and we've got a lot to talk about, but before that... Time. We're on a curfew, aren't we? <laughs> we're on a little bit of... It's a school night. We're up late after the Cowboys game. But I do have time to ask, Hunter, how are you doing? How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. Yeah. Good Thanksgiving. Good. Yeah, it would have been a little better with a, uh, a with tech victory. But yeah. And it was, that was, I mean, we texted during it, but it was one of those games like we should have never been in it. Like you're losing the turnover battle. You can't, it just seems like everything's going wrong. You have that. Stupid penalty by Storman after a huge play. Like it just seems like thing after thing, and then you're still there at the end. But that's yeah, my weird. that's my thing with Baylor is like if something can go Baylor's way, it's gonna go Baylor's way. It's just the way. It's just the, the their lot in life, I guess. It's yeah. like I, I didn't think their ten and one team was very good. I don't think this team is very good. But what what am I gonna do? Like they just keep winning. Yeah. No, it did. It seemed like all the high leverage plays went their way. Yeah. And it would seem like normally that would lead to a big discrepancy, you know, in the score. Like, you know, first their opening possession, they script a one on one play to Schooler. Not only does it work, it's a 70 something yard touchdown. Yeah. We, fum- we fumble and we fumble again later in the game. You mentioned yeah. the Stormit penalty. Yeah. They have a heroic tipped. We intercept the ball, and their deep, their receiver just like throws a hand and Perfect. knocks it out. I mean, if he doesn't do that, that might be a touchdown. Yeah, I think Demarcus Fields dropped an interception. Yeah, we dropped three or four interceptions. It seemed they like. we pooch kick it, or we we do something where they get the ball like maybe around the forty or 50. we did that. Yeah, we started it, doing that towards. It the end allowed the game. them to. They were in a. We defense made a stop. And it's fourth and four. If we kick it out of the end zone. You know, that's at their 30 or something. They're probably punting it, but it's not. And then on fourth and four, their freshman quarterback with a guy right in his face throws to a guy that's as covered as he could be, and they convert it. You know, I guess the only the only 
play we in that you know similar play that we got was the schooler tipped pass on their fourth down but i mean it was just weird that all those plays went against us and yet we were still kicking a field goal uh, to tie it yeah if you would have told me we were going to be in that spot at the beginning of the game i would have taken it and i would not have expected that's how it would have gone uh it was an interesting game for donovan smith it almost seemed like and like i said we were texting about it during the game it almost seemed like Cumbie didn't have a very high opinion of him based off the way the game was called. You know, it was a lot of scripted throws, screens, handoffs. Like there was very few drop back. You make the call, Donovan. Um, and, you know, they're, they're still doing that. You come to the sideline. I'll tell you the play. You go out to the huddle. Um, but it did seem when Cumbie kind of opened it up and realized, like, we're going to have to throw the ball to stay in this game. It seemed like Donovan handled himself pretty well. Yeah, I mean – Cumbie single-handedly scored the one touchdown, the 77 yarder. One. Yes. And then we um, kind of got him in a one-minute drill uh, on that one pass late. I don't. I agree with you. Yeah, I think when the game was before, it, it turned into a situation where we were down by 10 points with only a couple possessions left. We had thrown it um, 30% of our plays, and a yeah. lot of them, like you said, were um, short, you know, kind of short passes. I mean, it was obvious to me that Cumbie did not think – Donovan could make, you know, drop back and like have a drop back game, you know, right. where he's, like you're saying, which was to me, it's even, he, it shows he, you know, his opinion was even worse than that kind of sounds because Baylor has a good front. And right. so like just trying to run on them is not exactly like a, a strategy that seems good, but right. if, if he's, I don't think Cumbie is a bad offensive coordinator and I don't think he's trying to lose the game. So he, yeah. he chose that as, our best chance of winning, which to me is not a good indicator of where he, you know, where he thought Donovan was or is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's, and that's the interesting thing is, and this is something we'll talk about as we go into the off season. I mean, let's just see where the quarterback room ends up, but it is somewhat telling how those, you know, those last three games go, you know, after the Iowa state game, you think how many Heisman's is Donovan Smith going to win, you know? And then after Oklahoma state, it's like who, you know, how quick can Barron get in here? And then Baylor obviously is kind of a in between. And so, it, you know, it's just interesting going forward, especially interesting now considering Sonny Cumbie is not going to be your offensive coordinator anymore, um, which me and you were both fans of that decision. And we, I mean, we had a whole podcast about, um, you know, how his season and how well we thought it went. We were even accused of being his agents. So, um, so now obviously, we go in a different direction. So kind of a, a long-winded way of saying, like, what did you think about the Cumbie appointment and then the Cumbie taking the Louisiana Tech job? I didn't mind the, you know, Cumbie as OC. No. I, I could be wrong on this, but I think uh, for Tech, we, we should have an ability to get a decent to good offensive coordinator just based on our, like, history and, yep. like, connections. I mean, I get the whole, like, people being frustrated that we always hire a, a guy with tech ties, but it's just, it's not our fault that all the, all the best play callers have a tie to tech. I mean, yeah, like, that, that's always my argument is look around the country. Like why are all these schools hiring guys with tech ties? <laughs> yeah. So, so I didn't, I didn't mind the Cumbie hire, but I also don't think that the drop off between Cumbie and who, and whoever else we get is going to be that big. And maybe there isn't one, you know, I think if we hire Kitley, there'll be plenty of reasons to be you know excited about, about that hire. Um, but yeah, bottom line, I liked it. I liked it more so from the, you know, continuity, um, aspect. 
though, at which I wonder if you kind of still get the benefits of that just by, you know, offering the job and him, him accepting. I mean, there, there shouldn't be, you know, nobody will have the impression or feeling like we just kicked, you know, kicked their coach out and, and right. didn't want to hire him. You know, there should, there might be some kind of lingering continuity <laughs> aspect yeah. of it. Well, especially since we're in this awkward spot where he's going to coach the bowl game, which to me, I mean, this is just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ecstatic. That they're going to a bowl game. I know that was a big deal for those seniors, um, but it is just based on how the season went. It's a very weird spot to be in because you obviously don't want to throw Joey McGuire into coaching a bowl game. You know, we, you want him doing other stuff and you especially don't want his first, you know, action as head coach to be kind of a random thrown together staff roster, you know, random practices and then him going out there like it could be a disaster. And so you don't want your new head coach to start out on that foot. But now your interim head coach, his mind is elsewhere. I mean, I can't imagine being Sonny Cumbie and trying to concentrate on bowl prep when you're trying to do everything you can to win at (laughs) Louisiana Tech. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, I, I don't think there's been many situations like it. I mean, it, it does seem, though, and we've talked about this a little bit, like there might be more of these kind of weird – like I'll be very interested – like if we play Auburn, which has been suggested by some of the bowl projections, they fired their offensive coordinator. The rumor is their head coach may be fired if he doesn't get the vaccine <laughs> due to you know Alabama's regulation. Like there's no telling how what, the state that Auburn could be in. Uh, so I don't know. It's just – bowl game is going to be weird whenever we find out where we're going and who we're playing, but I'm the team we're playing, I guess I should say, should say they could be in just as as much turmoil as we are. Yeah. Could be LSU too. Similar. Yeah. Yes. Very similar. Speaking of LSU, did you see that clip of uh, Brian Kelly's new accent? No, I, no, I haven't watched it. Is that the basketball game? (laughs) Yeah, it is. uh, You need to watch it. It is, it is something else. Um, Have you ever seen that episode of the office where, you know, Mike, they're about to get their branches about to go out of business, they think, or whatever. And Michael Scott plays a game and it's like that murder in Savannah and he gets that Southern accent. You have any idea what I'm talking about? I, I've watched The Office. I don't <laughs> don't recall that one. Okay. I'm well, sure I have watched it, but somebody out there, yeah. somebody listening to this podcast <laughs> has got their lighter raised right now because they know what I'm talking about. But anyway, um, so yeah, kind of just going back to the Baylor game and the end of the season and come be leaving and all that stuff. It's um, it is an interesting place. Heck you can even add the, the South end zone renovation, the Womble football facility being built. It's a, the recruiting, it's a very weird spot to be the end of a tech season where you go six and six. And, and I don't know about you, but it's been a long time since I've been this excited about the direction of the program. Yeah, because we haven't. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. We haven't gone to a bowl in I don't know how many years. So I guess that's true. Six and six the, is good. <laughs> best season we've ever had. We're in, in the last four or five years. We've yeah. we're on the new new coach high. We've injected fifty million dollars in facility upgrades in the last yeah. sixty days. Um, yeah, I could. <laughs> yeah, I guess it. There is a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I mean, and even like as poorly as the Oklahoma State game went, like. I don't know. That Baylor game was the first time in a while where you watch a game. I just really appreciated like all the, like this team has been through a lot of weird stuff 
they're, you know, the coach being fired, but it just seems like they fought. And I really, you know, just getting the, the Iowa state win was huge, but it would have, would have really been nice for them to, you know, go out on a win, kind of up ruin Baylor's season and all that. But it was, I had no idea what we were going to get, you know, like if I were to, if I was going to bet this, that game, what the spread ended up being 14. I sent you, didn't I? I sent you my screenshot. I think I had yeah. To... yeah. And so I like, it would Plus have been 14 and a half. Or... Yeah. You could have told me very easily that like they got the bowl game. They're good. Let's just, let's just get to the bowl game. And that's not what they did. They went out and they fought and like, you know, everything seemed to go against them. Like it kind of has their entire time at Texas tech and yet they just still fought and still fought and had a chance to win at the end. So it's, I mean, to me, that goes into the good feeling. Like, if you go to Baylor and get blown out by 40, I don't think I'm feeling quite as good as I am right now, even with all the momentum that the program seems to have. So, I mean, I just appreciate those guys going out there. And there really was no reason to fight, and yet they fought their asses off. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, and we're down 10 nothing too. And still, yeah. it could have gone south there. Very, yes. Yeah, especially at the way it started. It's like you said, 70-yard bomb, we fumble, all that kind of stuff. Um, so before we go to like the OC DC talk, DC talk, uh, anyway, uh, the basketball program had a very frustrating game last night and just kind of weird start to the season. Just, and you, you know, you, you're way more into this stuff than I am. I'm college basketball is very difficult for me to watch. And last night's game was a perfect example as to why becoming the ref show there at the end, but what do you make of this team? Like you play this tremendously easy schedule. You come out and look dominant against a, a team with a pulse. And then all of a sudden it's like, you forget how to play basketball for 30, 45 minutes in the games. <laughs> You're having to claw your way back into a game. I don't, it's just weird to me. Yeah, it was. And I, you know, before, because I guess because of the schedule and not, not only do we play a bad schedule, you know, but every yeah. team we played was either on a coming off, a back to back to back to back or they had like two starters out right or something weird was going on so you know even the, we were playing just terrible terrible teams in in bad situations and so I'd, i had no idea what to expect and then i still don't really know because like you said we there was about a 15 minute stretch where it looked like we were playing six on five like there were yeah. six six guys on the court for tech and five for providence and then when they kind of went to a zone and we're pressing us, it totally changed. And I think you saw, and I don't know how much, and then again, the foul trouble situation kind of throws another wrench into figuring out what the team is because I thought we really saw the issues with not having a main ball hand. Like we had trouble getting into an offense when they were um, pressing us and, and yeah. defending the ball like the full length of the court. Even like McCuller was having some difficulty. You know, we had some like oh, some turnovers like that led to easy baskets and that's that's a a heel of this team and providence should not have really shown itself against them that they were playing big they were down their main guard Um, so if if we were going to have you know of all the teams where we should have been able to not have that be an issue it might have been them yeah And, and it being an issue is problematic um but yeah i think there were we just made some stupid, stupid mistakes. I that's hated. the thing that that's yeah. the thing that stuck with me is 
the thing that drove me nuts about this team for years is like, it just seems like when it gets to crunch time, end of half, end of game, if there is a stupid decision to be made, tech is the team that makes it. And it just, and I was hoping that may have left with the former coach. And yet, and this is just one game, but the McCullers foul when he fouled out. That was terrible. That was a huge, I mean, that, he that looked like he was trying one. to tackle him. Like he, <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that was our game. You know, that was a ball screen at the top, and that, I think that was part of what we were doing to defend that action. But in that, you know, in that situation, he was he was late, obviously, and yeah. fouled him. But when he has four fouls, and when that's a ninety percent free throw shooter, and when they're in the bonus, and when there's two minutes left, and it's a one point game, <laughs> you know, maybe you don't defend it that so aggressively. Yeah. And, and although I will say. Adams has said from the very beginning, we, if you, if anyone ever asked him, like, what's your team going to play? Like what's it's, we're going to be aggressive on offense and on defense. And I saw that. I mean, we were aggressive defending guys. We fouled the shit out of them Yeah, and they called them. Um, We pushed the, we took early shots. Um, He's kind of instilled a mindset of be aggressive and attack. And um, it backfired some, in some ways, I think in the game. Yeah, it seemed like when those shots, and I, I'm a big fan of, like, if you have an open shot, take it. I'm not really, I don't really care when it comes to the shot clock. But when those shots weren't falling, and then Bryson Williams struggling, which he seems to be the guy, like, if things that, aren't falling, throw him the ball, we'll at yeah. least get a shot. And then, like, he couldn't do that. And so, like, you had the Shannon deep three that he made. Which, I didn't even like that shot. No, no well, I was about to say that, <laughs> that was a terrible been, shot. That might have been the worst thing <laughs> to do because he, he takes one that is misses so bad. There's not even a chance for a rebound. And then your final play, you don't get even you don't even get a shot off because you, you don't make contact on the screen. And so is Malik Wilson, right? He had yeah. to he had to push off. It was an obvious yeah. push off. You don't even like why isn't the ball in Terrence Shannon's hands? Like as bad as that shot was, that's the guy who I want having the ball there in, in the final minute. I don't know. It was just like you said, just mistakes just seemed like dumb mistakes. Yeah. Silly stuff. And then, you know, it is a long season and the, the team now this happens every year. I mean, the team that you have in November and December is just different than it is in March. Yeah. Unless, unless you're Baylor last year or something. Um, so we got a long ways to go. We could get worse, though. I mean, but, yeah, uh, I think that's that's what you're worried about is it's easy to see how this trend continues in a negative direction, just as easy as it is. I mean, because like you said, before we hit record, you know, the next time we get together and podcast, you'll have played Tennessee. You're about to play Gonzaga. That's not getting any easier. And so if you can't figure out a way to initiate offense to stop this, the, the silly stuff, the dumb mistakes, like the one, it's going to be the bad. One, the one good thing is, um, or if, if running offense against the zone is a problem, we're going to play a lot of teams who don't run it. Like, I don't think Beard's going to defend us with his own. Yeah. You know, like the big 12 is so good. <laughs> they're, they're so good and athletic that yeah. they don't even work on a zone. I mean, they're never intending to play a zone defense. Yeah. You know, Kansas, Texas. Um, so that might be some positive to take away. Yeah, uh, that's true. But know, it, be... it was just frustrating to see how long it took them to figure out a zone. 
you know, like that's not, that shouldn't be that difficult. I think maybe that's what was so frustrating is you're sitting there watching it. And I mean, like they're, they're trying true ways to beat a zone. It just didn't even look like they were necessarily, it was, they were trying to. So it was just, it was frustrating. And, Paul, Paul, and there were a lot of, of guys was, in part position. of that was we were, we weren't initiating offense until there was like 15 seconds on yes. the shot clock. Yeah. It was taking us that long to get, you know, like if we almost needed like a Devin Thomas. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, um, to get the ball into the half court with like in five seconds so we right. can start running offense. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. And I'm willing to, I'm, you know, like as, as frustrating as last night was, I'm willing to, to say like Mark Adams, really his first time in a, position like that a lot of those players it's their first time in positions like that in a game situation like that and so I know they're old but it's different at this level and so I'm willing to give them some time but it's just it's frustrating uh to see some of that stuff um and so the last thing we'll end on is since I mentioned you know Cumby leaving to go be the head coach at Louisiana Tech we've we've we still got some openings on the staff, some big time openings, offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. And we've got our special teams coach figured out. So we've with OC, you know, we've been rumored with Zach Kidley and Graham Harrell. Those seem to be the two. Am I forgetting any? Those just seem to be the two that I haven't heard any. Yeah. And I don't think Harrell's really a, an option. I think he, yeah. if he was, we probably would have hired him over Cumby. Yeah. It does seem to be like, this is Kitley's job and where we go from there. I don't know that <laughs> it gets scary if because he, he's going to, ha- he has suitors. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if, if it's not him, but let's say it is him. How does, how does that make you feel? Yeah. I've talked a little bit about it. I mean, I like it. I think it's kind of a, a swing for the fences type hire. I think there's a lot of upside. Um, yeah. I'd be excited about it. Yeah. I think he's a perfect for what we can kind of recruit to easily. Yeah. Skill guys, quarterbacks, throwing the ball. It's a good fit. Yeah. And he, to me, he has like the best of cliff in the sense of like, he can design a play with the best of them. um, But he also has the traditional air raid where like this, this is all part of a system. It's not just a group of plays that we run. Like this is, we are part of a system and we can run this system uh, out of a bunch of different looks, but it's going to be, you know, the base set of plays that we're all familiar with. Um, but he does have his own twists on it, you know, and, and he's, he's modernized it some with motion and different formations. And uh, I know a lot of people are worried about his lack of running the ball, but I do think that's mostly just due to personnel. Like, I don't think that has much to do with like, there's not an offensive coordinator out there who like just doesn't run the ball out of spite. Like he probably couldn't. And so he didn't, which to me is a positive. Yeah. Their their run numbers are are bad and yeah, they're bad. Like on the paper in the traditional sense, but even like EPA, like EPA expected points added per run. I think they're 117th in the country. Um, But they had the six most points per possession and, so they were in a very effective offense. And then I, I uh, put something on the board today. I saw like a, a tweet from uh, Bill Connolly where he was kind of talking about Georgia. They've only yeah. had six offensive possessions in the second half this year where they were winning by 14 or less when they had the ball. <laughs> um, and But I think third fewest was Western Kentucky. So, you know, almost maybe 70%. That means 
70% of their possessions in the second half, Western Kentucky, they were winning by 15 points or more. And that's when teams run the ball. They weren't running the ball. It's, so clearly there was something there where Kitley and their coach decided to not – they didn't think they could run. Yeah. I mean, that, to me, that's just another kind of indicator of them just not having the personnel to do it. It's not like he just didn't – yeah, like you said, it's not like he just doesn't want it or has no intention of ever running it. And I think we saw – I mean, when his Houston Baptist team played in Lubbock and torched the secondary – I think we saw the same kind of pragmatic approach. It was like, they cannot cover the seam. And so he threw the seam until he couldn't anymore. Basically he, he covered the seam or he threw the seam and he threw crossers and, and the tech defense in 2020 could not cover those things. And he just exploited it. So that, that is what I like to see in a potential offensive coordinator. It's like, I'm going to take what you can't do, and I'm going to just continue to do it. I'm not going to let you off the hook, basically. Um, and now it'll get it'll get interesting if, you know, Auburn comes with a pile of money or Miami or whatever, some of those rumored spots, and then where you go from there, then I don't know. That could get a little hairy. But um, I think it's safe to say that it's Kitley's job to turn down at this point. Um, or maybe not to turn down, but it's he's the first call. And so we'll see after uh, the Western Kentucky takes on UTSA. Uh, DC, though, is one that we've discussed off the podcast because, like you said, there's not a ton of difference between potential OCs. I mean, the DC hire could potentially make or break the McGuire hire. Yeah, I think it's tough because it's, yeah, unlike the offensive coordinator position, Defensive coordinator for Tech. This is where people go to die. I mean, I, it's not a good, it's not a good job. I mean, I think we can just be realistic yeah. about it. Yeah. Um. You know, it's it's um somebody with a lot of balls um is is going to be the one willing to step into it. And I think yeah, you know, it hurts our it makes it a difficult hire because if somebody has an option, they're probably doing that other than going to. Lubbock right but on the flip side I would you know I think if I were looking at it and we have more knowledge than most but I think McGuire's gonna have a super long leash as a coach so there's not like it's not like with Wells where he not only is it a tough job but even if you do okay or well you the whole situation could change right uh, in, a, in a hurry um, and so yeah I think you have it's a spot where someone could have a lot of time uh, but I want it to be I think I like that Tony guy. He's a, he's mm-hmm. scored a Kitley in terms of being kind of a home run yeah, um, swing because he's so young. And it's a scary thought that we would, that we could have Kitley and Tony, both those guys were born after I was, you know, which I mean, <laughs> that means in the nineties. Right. Um, so you'd have a head coach who's been never been a coordinator and he's been in college for five years. And then you'd have two coordinators who are in their thirties or low thirties and they've had maybe three or four years combined between them of D1 coordinator experience. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that's it'd be the most inexperienced head coach coordinator duo combo probably in power five, like history. Yeah. I mean, it could be one of those deals where like you, you, you called it, I mean, they're home run swings. And so, and, I, and I'm a big fan of Kitley and Tony, like to me, that's, best case scenario, best realistic case scenario is you get two guys who were both up for the Broyles award, you know, the top assistant in the country. They're both young guys. 
They're, they're both guys who you probably lose in two to three years to either bigger programs or their own program. And, and to me, that's a good thing like that. I want guys who you are going to have to either pony up for or lose, even if you do. And so I think both of those guys fit that description. And if tech is still making this, you know, they just, like you said, they just put $50 million into facilities. They're obviously making um, some financial pledges. Like if you can keep your assistant coach salary pull up, you can keep finding these coordinators that will leave in a few years because they've been successful here. And I think Tony and uh, uh, Kitley are both, they both fit that bill. Yeah. And I've seen Tony's name too um, in connection with someplace, not anything like from, reputable sources but just kind of looking at like florida message boards lsu even um i think just those two but i mean there's people that are interested in him yeah um and and i also like him because he's a three-man front guy i think yeah i I think we're kind of needing to hire just because that's what our personnel is well and i mean mcguire said his for in his press conference that's what he runs so yeah that i mean i don't i don't think he would look at anybody who wasn't um one of those but you know there's it's a big recruiting weekend there's a bunch of guys on campus or going to be on campus uh and for the 2022 class and so you know mcguire is giving them names of potential guys so you know I, i guess it's a good thing that all of your potential coordinator hires are playing championship weekend but it's also kind of annoying that you can't get these names to paper any earlier than that but it sounds like we'll know pretty soon yeah and i and i want to see some transfers because we and i I worry about her bowl eligibility um preventing people from entering the portal because there's this waiver that everybody talks about but it seems like people are kind of glossing over the the details where you get seven additional signees up to seven, right? One additional up to seven per transfer. So you're that, like, just to be, that, I know what you're talking about, but just to be clear, yeah, you need guys to transfer from Texas Tech's roster to open up spots, not transfers yeah. coming in. Correct. Transfer leaving, they have to be in good standing academically, and the the wording of the rule is it has to happen by the earliest date between December fifteenth or your fall term ending. Mm-hmm. So I think our fall term might even end before then. Yeah. So, you know, you look at UT, they're kind of, they're not bowl eligible and they're kind of catching a break because all these guys are entering the portal. So they're going to have 32 signees this yeah. class. And I, I want, you know, McGuire to have 32, you know, he could, you know, we, you can kind of have, it's almost like free shots at transfers and you know, he could sign like a full 20 plus high school class and then take 10 transfers Yeah. and, and still have 20 high school guys. I mean, that is something I want. I want after two classes there to be fifty or more McGuire signees. Right, is a best case scenario. But we need. But I don't know if guys are going to be entering the portal in, right. in the next two weeks with a bowl game coming up. And that and that's a very delicate conversation and and line to walk because you know and like we talked about before we hit record, McGuire's his whole deal is relationships. And so if you're telling a, a kid that you need to find somewhere else to play, I don't know what that does to that relationship or relationship with that guy's high school coaches. Like I'm sure McGuire can handle it. I'm sure Baylor, I'm sure he was around it under rule and Baylor. Um, but it's just, it's a very awkward deal, but you're right. I mean, you want McGuire to have the most control possible over his roster. And the best way to do that is to get some kids out so he can bring his in. 
Yeah. Because, you know, in theory, the guys leaving are guys that are probably not going to contribute. But although, like you, I think you said it, we're, we're, we're going to have somebody leave, even that's we want, you know, that right. would contribute. But the question is when. Yeah, is it, when. Yeah. Like Marquise Waters has a year of eligibility. And I won't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves. Yeah. He's hurt. So let's get him in there. Right. Uh, Columbia's, <laughs> Columbia's another one. He probably, he may stick around through, but yeah. if he's leaving, I'd like to get him in there. Right. And like, if we're talking about it here on a podcast, you would hope that these same conversations are happening. And that's another thing that I guess kind of like, since your potential coordinators are, playing in cha- on championship weekend, it's hard. Like, is this conversation you have with them? Do they need to evaluate the roster? Like, that's another thing. Like time is, is running out <laughs> to get these guys in the portal. Correct. But like I said, this will all come together relatively quickly. Um, and so by the time we talk next week, I would assume we have an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, and we know where we're playing in a bowl game. So next week's episode should be pretty fun. Um, but you got anything else before we get out of here? I don't think so. All right. Well, we will talk to you guys next week. Now, is this going to be a problem,